Welcome, everyone, to our first episode of Computer Vision Decoded, where we sit down with Jared Heinle, the chief scientist at EveryPoint, to discuss topics in today's quickly evolving world of computer vision. In today's episode, we're going to cover announcements made last week at WWDC conference and find out what they mean for the computer vision community. But first, let's welcome Jared Heinle to the show. Jared, please tell us about yourself. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm the uh, chief scientist here at EveryPoint. Um, so I uh, my specialty is in computer vision. So EveryPoint, we're a computer vision company, uh, and so as chief scientist, I help you know sort of lead and direct um, the computer vision uh, efforts here. Um, so my background, you know, I've been doing computer vision for twelve years now. Um, did my PhD at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. So there I focused on large-scale 3D reconstruction from crowdsourced photo collections. So what that means is I would t download, you know, scrape the internet. I would write Python scripts to scrape the internet for uh, publicly available photos of tourist locations. So I'd say, okay, let's go to Berlin or let's go to Paris or let's go to uh, even the entire world. Try to download as many photos as possible. So millions or hundreds of millions of photos and then would generate 3D reconstructions from that. Um, so a lot of my work dealt with you know, has dealt with how do you do, you know, really large scale 3D computer vision? How can you, you know, not just tens or hundreds of photos, but yeah, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of photos. How do you scale up algorithms to that, that magnitude? Um, and then when you're dealing with such, you know, large amounts of data, all the different edge cases you run into, you know, where it's, it's not just photos from a lab setting, you know, you've got photos out in the real world that are blurry, you know, confusing, weird, taken with weird cameras from weird angles and weird conditions. And so how do you write algorithms that can, you know, be robust to um, all sorts of that diversity? So that's, that's what I've taken. So I've taken that knowledge of large-scale computer vision, you know, in the real world, uh, and I'm bringing that now and, and uh, applying that here at every point. Interesting. So you're an expert taking images and creating 3D reconstructions, but not in... Uh, a lab setting or a perfect theoretical data set. So that's that's really interesting. And that's what we've always found it. Having these camera tools in our pockets and iPhone, they're great, but usually things are messy. You have bad lighting, things like that. So that kind of dovetails into what we want to talk about today, uh, the Apple's WWDC conference. And they had a couple announcements specifically I wanted to talk about with you in regards to ARKit and some of the evolving functionality because they have those AR kit announcements have always helped us give tools to our users as time has gone on. So the first one I just want to jump into, it was called Room Plan. And uh, I can give you a quick just overview for everyone who has not heard about Room Plan um, or followed us. But basically, it allows you to scan a room from a stationary position or you can walk around and get a planometric view of that room. So as you can see in this video I have up here, you're creating this floor plan and it's actually even detecting couches, tables, fireplace, things like that, and creating this, this great interactive augmented model here. So here we go. And so for you as a computer vision scientist, how would you how do you see that this tool could help us with users scanning environments or just where what do you see when you first saw this? What was your reaction of? what this means for you and for especially capturing things in the wild where it's everything's not always perfect yeah yeah no definitely um i mean the first thing that i saw when i when i first thing i thought when i saw that was just it, it makes total sense um you know apple 
um, as they've been working on ARKit and just, you know, augmented reality experiences in general, you know, it, it keeps getting more advanced. We keep sort of moving up the stack of complexity um, and sort of abstraction. You know, what I mean by that is, you know, when ARKit first came out, you know, its job was to say, hey, for every video frame, as our user's moving around, for every video frame, figure out what the position of the camera is. What's the pose and of that camera as it's moving through the space? You know, and that's it. You know, so it's just sort of understanding, you know, some sparse points in the scene, the camera position, um, you know, and it, so it's that sort of basic, you know, level one of understanding, you know, mm -hmm. eventually then it starts adding in, okay, well now we can do uh, plane detection. So, okay, so there, there's some points in the scene that all look flat. Maybe that's a table, maybe that's a wall. So we start understanding these geometric, individual geometric primitives, primitives in the scene. Um, with introduction of the LiDAR sensor, um, Apple also introduced some semantic understanding, being able to say this, um, this looks like a chair, this looks like a wall, this looks like a door. You know, so there was, I forget how many, there was like six different classes or some, some limited mm -hmm. subset initially of semantic categories of objects that it could detect. Um, but with this now is sort of bringing all of that together to one cohesive experience, saying not only can we identify, you know, these flat surfaces in the scene, but we understand how they work together. This is, you know, two walls that are joining at a corner. This is a door that's inside of a wall, you know, and so you, you've combined both the geometry and the semantics um, of that environment into a single representation. Um, so what I'm excited about, you know, how is this how is this useful for computer vision or computer vision applications? Is it's it's guiding that user to create that experience. Um, you know, one of the things that's hard is you know when you are in a in sort of a constrained environment. Sometimes it's really easy just to be like, oh yeah, I've I've scanned everything in the room, but not realizing that oh I I missed, you know the table in the corner, or I missed this thing in the side, or oh I didn't actually scan underneath this you know table in the middle of the room. You know, so having that, you know, quick and easy way to build up a floor plan, you know, then enables additional sort of follow on uh, applications to say, well, hey, now I've got a rough map of what this space looks like. Let me now use that to sort of help guide users um, in that space. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's what we've had personally working with a lot of users at every point. It's really easy to tell someone how to walk around an object. They want to scan toy figurine on their table. It, it doesn't take a lot of effort and know-how, but like you said, scanning a room is a lot more complex geometry. So how can we quickly guide them through that process? Um, and so that that actually is going to bring up my second topic I want to talk about is now we got this, this great room scan. We've built this room, and you can now better guide a user, perhaps in subsequent scans of that room, because now we know something about our, our space we're in. Um, Apple also announced, if I show up here, the ability to take a higher resolution video while running ARKit. Um, so Jared, you can tell us that, like what's, what's the limitation that has been in the past versus what they're doing here now? Oh yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, in my role, I'm, I say like I'm both sort of engineer and scientist. And so like the scientist side of me, you know, is excited about room plan. The engineer side of me is excited about the enhancements to the camera. Um, because here, so previously, Whenever you're using uh, ARKit to run an ARKit session on device, it sort of locks down. So Apple, you know, the iOS uh, operating system locks down that camera, you know, and so I'm, I'm stuck using uh, 1080p video. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. 1920 by 1440. Um, 
and you have sort of no control over the camera settings. Um, you can't, you, know, you can't use HDR video, you know, and you can't take photos. It's, it's, you're sort of locked into this video experience. That's what it used to be. Now, Apple's really sort of unlocked that, the camera. Um, so when I'm running an ARKit session, you know, now that ARKit session can use 4K video, that ARKit, mm -hmm. ARKit session can use HDR video. Um, you can even take still photos while that video session is running. Um, so it's, it's really opened the door for developers to take greater control um, over, that, over that video capture session. Um, now, why is that useful? I mean, that's useful if, as a developer, you know something about the experience, about the application that you're working on. Um, so for instance, if I know that I'm going to be trying to scan objects that are really close to the camera, maybe I want to take control of the camera's focus and sort of lock that focus to add sort of a near distance so that the camera isn't sort of focus searching, you know, nearer than far than nearer than far. You know, I can sort of fine tune my application um, to meet the demands of, of what I'm trying to do. Or same thing with the, you know, camera exposure. If I know I'm going to be in a low light environment or I'm scanning a dark objects, dark objects, I might want to overexpose, set that exposure higher than what uh, AirKit might do by default in order to get better exposure control um, over the objects that I'm interested in. Interesting. Uh, so in the all the time I've interacted with computer vision and photogrammetry in general, um, I've also learned from you that higher resolution imagery doesn't always equate to better imagery. Yeah. And so they are unlocking double the, you know, we're going from 1080p, 1920 by uh, 1440 to much higher resolution. And they did even touch on the, the, the conference session that in the past they were doing pixel binning to get you more information and darker scenes, things like that. And so I always have that question is that if I just get a more megapixels camera, will I just get better results? Can you touch on the fact that perhaps while this is going to give you more options, what does that, you know, do we always need more megapixels? Is, is there more to it than just the fact that you have pixels? Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. It's a great point. So yes, more megapixels can mean better results, but it, it really depends. So with uh, video especially, um, one of the problems uh, that I frequently come into is, yeah, the quality of those pixels. Some of that a lot of times comes down to motion blur. So if I'm indoors, you know, it's, it's sort of medium lighting or dim lighting, you know, Yes, that overall video looks crisp, but at that pixel level, there is a bit of motion blur. You know, neighboring pixels, that color has sort of been blurred or smeared from one mm -hmm. pixel to the other. And so when I go from that 1080p up to 4K, well, as opposed to that blur being one or two pixels, now that blur is three or four pixels. So the value of that individual pixel isn't any greater. It's actually less because that, that, pixel, that pixel has now been blurred across multiple pixels as opposed to a single one. Um, so there with motion blur, yeah, it's, it's the more pixels just kind of means more blur because it's just sort of been amplified. <laughs> Interesting. Um, the other thing you talked about there, yeah, the pixel bidding, and that's, that's also important too, is with that lower resolution video, uh, Apple's able to take multiple pixels on the sensor, you know, and sort of average together the, the intensity. So you know, the photons as they're coming in, hitting those, that area on the sensor, it's able to average that together to output a single color for that pixel. And what that gives you is greater robustness to noise. So like lower noise in those uh, low, you know, dim lit environments. Moving to 4K, your options for pixel, pixel, dimming, uh, pixel binning um, 
are re reduced or removed entirely. And so now you're going to see a greater amount of noise because the area, you know, the amount, the area that can capture those photons is reduced. And so there's higher noise in the pixels, making them less useful. So for me, sometimes even when I'm doing 4K video, I'm going to downsample that by a lot to try to sort of simulate pixel building, binning because that higher number of pixels doesn't actually give me uh, greater quality. That makes sense. Um, you know, we, we're seeing in non, the non-Apple world as well, uh, manufacturers, for example, Samsung with their 104 megapixel camera, uh, I, I, I have yet to actually buy and try and see what that can do for us. But uh, what I hear from most people is they actually don't want that. What they want is the pixel binning output at a much lower resolution. For one, no one wants a file size that's 104 megapixels, but also just, yeah, you're able to to recover a lot, all the noise goes away, or not necessarily goes away, but you get a much cleaner, crisper photo by averaging out those pixels. So I find that very interesting. So I always like to remind people too, yeah, most more pixels isn't better. And in fact, uh, also size of the pixels makes a difference, I've noticed. Yeah. So if you get close to an object, uh, People say, well, and I can get things further away, but should you? Should you just be getting closer to the object in your, um, you know, your capture? So there's always that. Um, so, I, yeah, no, thank you for for touching on that, the, those capabilities. Um, the only other thing I thought was, was interesting that um, I thought might overlap with computer vision is the do copy and paste feature that people are loving, where you can copy, especially on an iPad, an object, paste it into another photo or paste it onto a black backdrop. I've played around with it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's all machine learning happening in the background, lots of training to figure out what certain objects are. Cause I noticed it does a really good job at me, people, pets, things like that. Uh, not so good on other things. And I'm guessing there's some depth being built into that image from the LiDAR sensors or just the, you know, the image that they're able to extract depth off of. Um, I know in photogrammetry is a big technique that people use, they mask their photos. So if you just want the result of an object, you can mask out the photo. I can see now people using that. Uh, do you, is that something they think people could use? Or is that, you know, some auto masking you're seeing where you could get a, a better quality output by not having the background to deal with? Yeah, no, that, that's definitely helpful. Because, um, like, yeah, as you said, when, when you're trying to do a reconstruction of a single object, there are times when that background... Um, can hurt the reconstruction. It's like the biggest case I see a lot of times is turntable reconstruction. So if I have an object on a turntable, the object's rotating, but the rest of the scene behind it is remaining static. That's going to completely confuse photogrammetry because photogrammetry assumes that the entire scene is static, but now I've got one moving object in relation to a static scene. And so by in that case, if I mask the background, even though that object is spinning, photogrammetry thinks that the object is static and it's the camera that's actually spinning uh, around the object. So that's where masking a lot of times I've seen has been really, really helpful. Um, it also is helpful too if I'm just in a big scene and only care about a small portion of it. If I mask out the background, that can really help limit you know, the computation mm -hmm. time to the areas that I'm interested in. Um, there has been a lot of literature and work on sort of foreground background segmentation. Um, like you mentioned there, so there's there's techniques that can do it purely from you know image only. Uh, yes, it gets a lot easier or better when you have that depth information to better segment what's the foreground depths versus background depths, you know, and use the color information as well to help figure out what's the sort of the interesting part of the scene. Um, and so while those works have been out there, 
you know, Apple providing it by default, that just sort of lowers the barrier to entry. And so now, mm-hmm. you know, a greater number of developers are, you know, for free, be able to get that, that foreground information to enable masking and photogrammetry applications, you know, a lot, lot, lot easier. Interesting. Yeah. It's, that's one thing that I've been doing is just giving us free tools every, it's every year. It's like, uh, you get new hardware, you get new software and, um, you know, just trying to get the maximum that you can out of those. It's been quite an interesting journey we've been on. Um, and that they, they tend to always lead on making things easy for us to, to develop. Um, all right. Well, so that's, that's all I plan to cover today on WWDC, that conference. There was, there's quite a bit that was not talked about here that I'm sure could dovetail into computer vision. I know that there's new hardware they announced for the, the M2 for the MacBook Air and um, just other sort of en- enhancements. So uh, you can always do your own research if you're watching this show and want to learn more of videos you can watch and tons of uh developer sessions uh so but talking of conferences uh our next episode will be in two weeks from now we're going to do one of these episodes roughly every couple weeks and it sounds like you're going to cvpr can you just be to give everyone just a little bit of a a a quick brief of what that is because most people i talk to that aren't computer vision scientists don't know this exists or what it is or what what does even cvpr stand for you can just give us like a, a quick rundown of that, what you'll be doing, why you're going, and then you know that'll be what we'll talk about in our next episode. Yeah, definitely. Now, CVPR, it's so CVPR stands for it. So it's the Conference on Computer Vision and Pattern Recognition. So that's the CVPR portion of it. But CVPR is you know the premier uh, computer vision conference, and it's held annually. So every every summer, um, it's hosted in the United States. It moves around the country. Um, but yeah, it's the top conference for computer vision. It's been growing like crazy the past few years. You know, when I first started going, you know, there was a thousand, two thousand people. Um, the last time they had it in person, which was a you know two or three years ago, um, I think there were like ten thousand people or something. I mean, it, it's 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 kept you know the it's just a really big conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm excited about you know for it is you know it's it's a great place to just you know get in touch with the state of the art uh, of computer vision you know so you, you not only get to see you know in so i say it's sort of my specialty 3d computer vision i get to you know talk with you know phd students other researchers academic academics people in industry who are working on these kinds of problems you know we get to talk about you know the latest ideas what the state of art is as well as I get to seeing the state of art state of the art in other computer vision areas so things that necessarily aren't my forte I get to hear and learn from, you know, the top of the top um, about what they're working on, you know, find new ideas, figure out, oh, I can actually apply this idea I haven't even heard of before, but this helps me solve a problem um, that Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about um, for what I'm working on. So it's just, it's a great place to, you know, connect with other people, share ideas and, and learn what's, uh, what's current in computer vision. All right. And so that's what we'll cover in two weeks, just kind of your top highlights that you saw from the show. Uh, I've been lucky to know you for several years now and kind of get to see all that. But uh, I do know that you are somewhat active on Twitter, uh, especially during CVPR. I would say if we were to graph your activity, it skyrockets the week of when you're there in person. Um, do you, do you, where, how can we follow you um, on online or on Twitter? Is it is, um, What's your handle name on that? Yeah, yeah. My Twitter handle is just my name, Jared Hindley. Um, so I'll be, I'll be tweeting out um, yeah, anything interesting that I see. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I love doing when I'm there, at, you know, there at CBPR is I find, you know, papers or posters or ideas that I think are interesting and applicable, um, just sharing those out with the community. Yeah. So I'll be also noticed that you've already, you've already 
been retweeting a few papers that have already been submitted. Um, that's one thing I always find interesting this time of year, too, is sure volume of papers being submitted leading up to CVPR ramps up considerably. So uh, just, just being able to see that and get an inside view of a computer vision scientist of what they find interesting is, you know, it's fascinating because a lot of this is uh, pretty pretty far out there on the edge of technology, but um, you're able to kind of give us a, a nice curated list of well, these are interesting, at least in your world. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be very interested to see what you have to say in two weeks. So uh, with that, thanks everyone for coming. We will have uh, this, this um, episode airing every two weeks. You can find us on YouTube, LinkedIn, and we're also considering putting this on a podcast or an audio stream if you don't care about watching anything. I just want to passively listen to this. So again, um, this is Computer Vision Decoded with Jared Heinley. And uh, you can find us, again, on all of the streaming services, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, and uh, pretty soon on podcasts. So thank you, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks, Jared, for your time. Thank you.